0: You're listening to the Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host. As always, this week, we have one of the biggest heavy hitters in Western Australian property development in the room. It is Scott Cameron, General Manager at Fimbar. Fimbar being WA's biggest apartment developer right now and also over the last couple of decades. We're going to talk about the apartment development market, the pressures, bit of history as well, and unpack some solutions to try and get this industry back off its knees to start providing that supply at scale that we need because it can't all be urban expansion. We really need to start pushing the urban infill dial back our way. Scott, thank you very much for coming in, mate.
0: Thank you for the opportunity, Trent.
1: Hey, Scott, let's start with a bit of a conversation on the history of FIMBAR, but also your story too. Where did it all start for you?
0: I'd been living in Sydney for 10 years and I came back to Perth in 2004 five started in uh, sales in apartments in Perth and
1: started right down the bottom selling these things yeah
0: when you live in a town like Sydney you see huge infill huge density so that was you know the late 90s early uh, noughties and so that was when Sydney was going through building up to the Olympics it was an exciting time to be in Sydney and from there when I when I came back here I was actually quite passionate about infill because I'd seen I'd lived it And I saw the benefits in in Sydney for being co-located to work and amenity and transport. And so coming back here, you could see that it was going to grow. And so I got into sales. And if you're selling apartments in Perth, you're going to be selling Finbar apartments because they're the biggest operator in WA.
1: What were they selling back then? Do you remember those first buildings? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: My my first sales were in in projects like uh, Reflections. That's down on Terrace Road in East Perth. In front of Langley Park. In front of Langley Park. um, You know, awesome projects. And that was a really interesting time. There was a strong investor interest in apartments at that time. And, And you're also seeing people just starting to put... their foot you know these owner occupiers who are starting to think well shall we look at apartment living
1: very early infancy of that culture starting to come into perth wasn't it
0: exactly exactly now finbar itself it's been in the game for 28 years and it's done almost 7,000 apartments. And it started, you know, way before my time, but there was some small townhouse developments in Subiaco and the like, and it it built up over time, and it even did some developments, you know, around Herdsman with, uh, you know, smaller sort of three-storey walk-up projects there. And then it's expanded and it's grown, it did some development West Perth, again, sort of three-storey walk-up, and the size and scale started to grow. And you can see in South Perth where there are a number of projects there that started to, you know, grow in scale. And so you had, you know, Blue Water and a number of projects down Millpoint Road. They were all of a moderate scale, if you're looking back now. Blue Water was 16 storeys. That's the project when you come in off the uh, freeway into South Perth. That's the project right there on the right. And, you know, we've always had a, a strong... Affinity and and relationship with South Perth, because our our home office used to be there. And then over time, we've, of course, kept that interest in South Perth going. And and we've done our Aurelia development, which is 21 stories, and our Reva development, which is in front of that. This is all on Harper Terrace, right just off Men Street. And then, of course, we've got our Civic Heart project, which Whoa, is it's, huge, it's the big it? kahuna. Yeah. And, you know, that's over 300 apartments.
1: Has there been an apartment development that big ever before? I don't think there has. I, I don't think
0: there's one in the state. Right? Yeah. So this is going to be the biggest, largest, single level. Um, strata development to occur in Perth. We're talking, you know, 325 apartments, a huge ground floor commercial presence with like 25 ground floor commercials there. So we're doubling the retail precinct of Men Street Mm. with this one project. It is cliched, but it's it's a transformative project. And so that's very exciting to see it. We've completed the lower tower and we're up to about level 26 of the taller tower, which will be 38 stories tall.
1: It's very exciting, and this is the scale that obviously Urban Infill can reach to help be a part of the solution for our housing supply problem in Western Australia, which has never been so critical. Only five and a bit thousand properties on the market right now, about 1,800 properties for rent, and 80,000 people arrived in Perth last year they needed about 40,000 houses. So you can understand why we're in such a critical point on the demand side, but the supply side is actually where the story is that we'll talk about today and why it is so critical that we start to think about enacting some of these solutions in the market because it is a little bit like death by a thousand cuts with regards to the policy issues, financing issues, off the plan, purchasing issues, and then construction cost and construction risk issues that has started to roll out not just in the last couple of years, but you could see it coming from years before COVID as well, couldn't you?
0: Absolutely. For years now, you could see that from about 2015 on, the market, apartment market, it was tapering off. And there was a number of issues that we as an industry were having to deal with. You know, Whether it was we had to deal with the fact that APRA, the Prudential Authority that was basically controlling how banks were lending money, put a cap on the amount of investor lending that the banks could dole out. And also on the way that they would assess people and they, they se- assess them quite strictly. And so you could see investors evaporated out of the market. And that wasn't just new investors. It was investors in the market. They went to try and refinance mm. and they struggled to refinance. And because- these are
1: people providing rentals, critical rentals in our market. That It's one of those things where it's no surprise we're in this position right now, not just because we have a good amount of immigration coming to West Australia finally, but that's a, this is the first time we've had material immigration to WA in over a decade. What's actually been the reason is that uh, continual limiting of supply, not only for unoccupied houses, but the ability for landlords to create rental product in our market as well. And therefore, it filters back up to you guys even be able to get a project at scale off the ground in the first place. Yes.
0: When you look at how we operate, when you're looking at a large scale development, you need to get pre-sales. And the pre-sales are what drives the ability for a developer to get their project finance from
1: the banks. Can we use a really rudimentary example? We're using some round numbers about how big a project might be, let's say it's a $100 million project in terms of value. Can we talk through just for the listenership and understanding of how much the debt might be and then how many apartments or what percentage of apartments you might need to pre-sell before you even got construction off the ground? All right, so we're gonna be talking a bit of history here, Trent. Go for it. If
0: you go back years ago, you need to get enough pre-sales to cover the debt that you expect to have to call on to deliver the project. So it's less about the total value of the project, it's more, is it going to cost you $65 million to construct and deliver the project? That is the level of pre-sales you have to
1: get. So The bank's really covering their ass there, aren't they? hundred
0: percent, right? And so what that meant was, you know, just as a general rule of thumb, you are having to sell 65 to 70% of your project before you could even start.
1: Which is the idea of an apartment. It hasn't even got off the ground, obviously. It, it
0: hasn't even started yet. And that was fine prior to about 2015 because you had a good mix of investors and owner-occupiers. And together, they would provide enough support and buy into these new apartment developments. And there and that, wasn't really
1: a question about the fulfilment of the construction either. There were a number of builders out there getting it done along activity centres in Western Australia. There never really was a question about will this project start on time? Will the builder still be around, was there? No.
0: The industry had so much more capacity back then. And confidence.
1: Then. Yes.
0: What we're talking about here is a number of key themes that started to impact us. You know, With, with APRA as an example and the control of, of finance that was flowing to investors out of the banks, that was brought in because the eastern states were having a very frothy market. And so APRA was trying to control what was happening in the eastern states. While we were coming down off the highs of the resource boom and us dealing with the fact that we were having just as many numbers of people coming into our state in 2012 as are coming in now. And so the market was able to respond. And we did respond. But in 2015, when APRA started slapping down these requirements on the banks, the banks shut up shop. And so you saw that investors were left high and dry and so they left the market. And so apartments became substantially owner-occupier, which meant as a developer, your market that you're selling into became that much smaller.
1: Far more fickle. They obviously required far more put into these apartments. So the cost of these things starts to become more expensive. And maybe we can segue into what is probably the next part of the issue, that one of the thousand cuts that have come to the apartment market is obviously the increase in requirements from the NCC.
0: Yes, this is a bit of a history lesson where we go back. When I started in development in 2008, when I joined Finbar in 2008, you could have three-story walk-up affordable apartments. This is entry-level product and which know, is
1: what the government needs right now.
0: 100%. And it's it's what everyone needs because mm-hmm. you know, first-home buyers and people just looking for affordable and diverse housing. And this you know, it used to be done in, in middle ring and outer ring suburbs. So Finbar was doing it in Palmyra, Maylands, even Currumbine. And they were successful projects. The other building typology that was also feasible back then was 10-storey apartments. And Finbar was instrumental in doing a lot of these projects in East Perth as well as in South
1: Perth. What made them affordable? What made them able to get off the ground then and they can't now?
0: Changes have occurred incrementally over time but each of them they add additional costs and some of them would add eighty dollars a square meter to your construction cost others would add 250 dollars a square meter to your cost and some of this was at 10 stories you didn't have to sprinkler your building. So this is fire services in your building you didn't have to sprinkler it because if it's up to 25 meters they gauge that well there's enough time for people to get out of the project and it's considered
1: safe. We can run a hose up there or a get a hose, ladder up there. Our,
0: you know, the fire trucks, the appliance trucks, they'll arrive, they can get their ladders up, they can sort it out. It's no drama. they I mean,
1: changed their mind on that, obviously.
0: They've changed their mind. So now it's anything four storeys and above, it needs to be sprinkled.
1: And that's an expensive component. It's hugely, component.
0: hugely expensive. And... I think people haven't realised what the impact of that has been because when it was put in, you know, the building commissioners from each state, they meet and they decide, you know, how are we going to change the National Construction Code? They don't really have an understanding of, of I guess, the development drivers and the feasibility drivers for developers. And so when they're told, oh, we can make this more affordable for developers by dumbing down the requirements for the fire services without realising that by dumbing it down introduced risks that no builder would accept, which is having just plastic PVC pipes instead of copper pipes. And no builder would accept that because there's a risk to what if a tradie who comes in after the chip rocking has occurred and they put their drill through These are pressurized
1: wall, pipes, so right?
0: Fully pressurized, fully loaded with water, Boom. No, no one's going to do that.
1: So all the pipes go into the sprinklers are made of copper. Copper, obviously very expensive. Yep. We're running hundreds and hundreds of metres of copper all around a building that in a one-storey house, we're not obviously doing.
0: No, and we weren't doing it until recently until you went over the 25 metre height limit. Now it's four stories and above. And that has, it's really changed the affordability, feasibility equation for developers. So now, that's why you're predominantly seeing 10-story product or very boutique product that can handle very high per square meter rates that are getting sold into the general market. So you are seeing little boutique developments in Netherlands, sure, great.
1: They're the only ones that can make it work. Otherwise, you're, you're
0: looking at large scale projects and you're seeing them in Subiaco, you're seeing them in Appercross, you're seeing them in South Perth. Those ones can work.
1: It is very noticeable and anyone listening today will recognize that the only apartment developments that are getting off the ground right now are either in the extremely high end part of the market, your North Fremantles, your Claremont Peppermint Groves, your Subiaco's, your South Perth's, and most of them are at massive scale to justify the cost in the first place. I can't remember thinking about many apartment developments going on right now there's a couple in Subiaco but none in Maylands none really out in Cannington or in Joondalup sort of area in the last few years that are starting to crop up the four to eight stories I just don't know of any really and you're telling me that a big reason for that is fire sprinklers what else?
0: um energy requirements so those are constantly getting uh improved as we've been going through the last you know seven or eight years and again it was they were looking at improving it again and yes there are great outcomes that come from improving your your energy requirements which is your your Nathurs ratings and the like where it's about the thermal comfort within so in insulation, the insulation double glazing, double glazing all of that and again great outcomes but you find that they constantly want to improve the requirements.
1: So we're bringing up the minimum standard, and a lot of people would argue, well, why should the affordable market not have these minimum standards? Why shouldn't everyone be able to have cheaper aircon costs and all those sort of things? And I don't think anyone can argue with that, but for the fact that you go, okay, well, if, if that's what we're going to have, then... You just don't have anyone that can build an affordable price point anymore. And therefore, who is going to supply that if it's not going to be someone at the back of Byford? Yeah.
0: In a perfect world, everything you'd have specified at the highest rate for insulation and everything else. But if we're going to have infill across the metropolitan area and not just in the western suburbs, we have to have that understanding of, well, what impact If we keep on changing the NCC, if we keep on increasing the requirements, what is that actually doing to our ability to get supply across the metro area? Because if we don't understand that and we don't, as a society, make that decision to go, well, either we accept that the only development that's going to happen in those suburbs that have low underlying land values, that is only going to happen if government does it, Mm -hmm. I think we don't understand what this means in the long term in terms of it's gonna mean higher taxes to support more social housing. And social housing, the reason why we are relying on the private rental market is government realized there was a huge cost, not just in constructing social housing, but in maintaining Maintaining social
1: housing. The private rental market in a pseudo outcome steps into the shoes of the social housing market often and has done for years. It's just now that the free market obviously has pushed most of that out that it puts so much pressure back onto the social housing market again. And that's why Minister John Kerry has such a problem on his hands trying to build his own housing, chasing his tail, but also trying to incentivize developers, which is a futile effort in the first place to essentially nearly give away probably a lot of government land where urban infill apartments could happen at the one condition really of ensuring 20% of those apartments are social housing or affordable housing. And it's really no surprise is it scott that pretty much no one has taken up the offer
0: at the end of the day housing happens on a continuum social housing you know people in need they're at the end of the spectrum and then we have affordable rentals which is supplied through and i know people get worked up about it but it is fundamentally mum and dad investors we're talking people who are putting their own money on the line to own an apartment and rent it out in the general market And then you've got people who are buying and owning affordable properties. Then you've got people who are buying more mid-range and luxury product. This is our housing continuum. Mm. Government is focused on social, and they should be focused on social. Private development, we can help in in the affordable sector. We can help in the affordable rentals. We can help in the affordable housing, the affordable entry of housing, as well as, of course, up to luxury when the underlying land value is supported. But if government does not understand what's driving us as developers to actually put at scale projects into the marketplace, then they're not going to meet the targets that they've set for themselves.
1: Let's think about a one by one. And and I would assume maybe an affordable price for a brand new one by one might be $350,000 ideally if you could provide it. Is it even possible to build a one by one apartment for $350,000 these days without even the land value or the profit?
0: It, right now, that is very difficult, and and that is, I think, what people don't understand. And so, when when government says, "Oh, well, you know, come to us with an idea for this land," you know, even if the land is zero, if they wanted affordable and social housing to come out of that, they would still have to contribute because it doesn't make financial sense. Mm. They nearly to need to subsidise
1: the build, is what you're saying, and then you've still got the other eighty percent. You're convincing mum and dad's owner occupiers, investors, to be okay with the fact that. of this building is going to be uncontrolled, less desirable outcomes in that way. It seems like the only way right now apartment developers are actually being able to sell their product is to sell the idea of exclusivity, of luxury, of a better life than the one you currently live because we've got all these fantastic amenities within the building too. It's hard to sell that dream, that story, isn't it, Scott, when the reality is a fifth of the people are going to be state housing people. And I don't think anyone has any problems with state housing. It's just it's really hard to sell that in a, in a luxury building.
0: They have different ranges of social housing. There's band A and band B. And band A social housing is, And these are people in need. Mm. But there's an unknown. Mm. No one knows who they are. There's, there's, it's there's the un- a range. Yeah, yeah. It, they're just a range of people with diverse needs. But there's no knowledge as to what these people are going to be like. And I think that without that level of certainty, it makes it difficult for an apartment developer to accept that to, I guess, assist the deliverability of a project.
1: Well, it's hard enough for an apartment buyer to take that risk in the first place.
0: Hmm. And that's why, you know, you're not seeing it happening. It's just not happening. And I think when we do bring product online and you you see developments complete, you've got to realise that, you know, we're still seeing 30% of our completed projects. That's rental product. So that's people who they can't afford to buy. They need someone to live and how his 100 apartments, 30 units are going into That's the general rental market.
1: So 70% of your developments right now are owner-occupied outcomes, and 30% are investor.
0: That's been the trend. It's well, that been the trend rep- for a number of years. That represents
1: around where the market is anyway. It's quite interesting that you bring that stat up.
0: And I think the apartment market has been more subdued of late. Uh, it's been impacted by the the rapid interest rate rises because that obviously has, I think, changed people's uh, sentiment as to where they think you know, the value of their houses are, are going to be in a couple of years and, and where they think they're going to be in a couple of years and making decisions. And yet we need housing supply and the housing supply is needed now. And so there are elements of support that are required so that developers can get going. And so I think government has, they have Put some measures in place to assist. But given, if you look at the level of assistance that occurred during COVID for house and land oh, on the
1: on the urban fringes, absolute sugar hit. it was massive.
0: And you look at what was provided to apartments. Well, which what we've was, had is uncertainty. That's all we've been well, given.
1: The draft POS policy, medium density code. These in themselves are urban infill killers in the first place.
0: And when you look at, say, the stamp duty, which started off as a rebate, and is now a concession. We welcome government support, but when you look at a, at a program like that which it started off prior to covid this is in 2019 and it was a 75% stamp duty just capped up to 50k. Mm. And that was assisting, that was assisting developers getting their projects off the ground. And when government announced it, they said it was going to cost 29 million dollars for an economic benefit to the state of three hundred and sixty-four million dollars, sounds
1: like an investment rather than a cost, Scott. You you'd you should be so, doing it every you? day of the week. Yeah, uh,
0: and and when you look at what actually transpired over time, is that the off-the-plan stamp duty rebate? They put more controls on it, so they started putting price caps. So that it why only do you went think up. they've done that? I'm not sure. I don't understand why that is, because when you look at over time, when they thought they're going to spend twenty-nine million dollars over a couple of years, they spent less than five. When you look at how much they spend over three years, it was about 15 mil. If you look at their projections, their final projections for FY24, they're gonna spend about 89% of that initial $29 million that they thought they were going to spend within two years.
1: Well, it's not like they're skint at the moment. The government's got more money than they know what to do with in a lot of ways and you would have thought that the best way to spend that money would be incentivizing in any way, subsidising, incentivizing, rebating in any way the apartment development market which is sitting there with a plethora of development approvals, property ready to go and a lot of the time what's currently killing them is they can't get off the planned pre-sales at the price they need and
0: fundamentally what has to be understood is that if you want to get more supply it's not just about trying to only support affordable apartments so at the moment it's the cap is 650 and it tapers down to 750 and that's 50 percent above there
1: it's any supply well let's tie it back right to what you were saying before the pre-sales requirements and it's based on a value We were talking about this off-air and i think this you know the foreign buyer surcharge for starters i've said this before it's a xenophobic surcharge borderline racist it is essentially if you're not one of us we're going to charge you seven percent more because the headline allows the government to say that we're stopping international buyers from buying property that our locals could buy but the reality is very different isn't it 97 percent of international buyers never come here a fraction of a percent actually ever sell 70% of those purchases are off-the-plan new apartment purchases. So they're clearly the ballast for apartment developments. They're either bringing their kids here who come here as students and add massive multipliers to the economy, or they become landlords to help the rental market that is so sorely in need. But more importantly, it's the fact that they have the culture, the balls to be preconditioned to not see as much risk that we do in being the first off-the-plan buyers, right? So as you were leaning to, this cap here is actually quite an issue. They can say, oh, don't worry about the foreign buyer surcharge because we concession that in the -the off-the-plan concession. But the problem is that cap sits you at a fairly basic two-by-two apartment, what you really need as an apartment developer, Scott, is that first, let's use that example again, $65 million of pre-sales. If that was 10 penthouses, you'd be away, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And all the rest of the cheap apartments, relatively, they could get purchased in construction by locals.
0: Let's just realise that when the foreign buyer surcharge came in, we saw a 71% decline in our foreign buyers, right? Yeah, and And, think about the stamp duty you've lost there. Yeah, because, you know, all right, so you're saying you want to get 11% stamp duty. Well, 11% of nothing, I'd rather have 4% of something. That's right. But even now, in our FY23, we're still... 53% down on the foreign buyers that were there prior to the foreign buyer surcharge coming in. Now, we have a Finbar to rent division. We started in 2019 and they rent only Finbar product. So they've been going to our buyers and saying, if you want to rent your product out, we can do it for you. So turnkey stuff, really good product. And so what we've seen of our foreign buyers, 70% of them are renting into the general market. There you go. So why, <laughs> why would we disincentivize foreign buyers when 70% of them, 70% of Finbar's foreign buyers, yeah. are actually putting their product into the general as minister
1: kerry says all supply right now is good supply and i cannot understand why we would sit there and have a foreign buyer surcharge that ben white thought was a good idea five years ago that's actually cost us hundreds of millions of dollars in missed stamp duty in the first place but more importantly the multiply effect that you were talking about before where for every foreign buyer that comes in we're not building two apartments because the foreign buyer will come in by the first half of the building the second half never got built for the locals in the first place which is what is putting us in this position there are thousands of apartments that i believe since the foreign buyer search has come in have not got off the ground and therefore have not contributed to the supply of housing in western australia that's a huge issue the guys who run far east consortium made it very clear in the paper of five years ago, the second that thing came out, their Perth hub development was shelved. And it's only just getting off the ground now. These make huge critical impacts in the ability to deliver supply that could have come on years ago.
0: We just need to make clear that when you're selling apartments off the plan, if you're selling expensive apartments, you know, high net worth apartments, that means we don't have to sell as many cheaper apartments to hit our level of pre-sales because it's a dollar value, not a number of units value. And so if I only have to sell thirty of the higher value apartments instead of having to sell sixty-five of the cheaper apartments, why, why is why, that a problem? Why, why is that a problem? Why yeah. why if are the, we disincentivizing if those If Foreigners people? buy
1: them. Why is it a problem to us?
0: Why do we disincentivize them? Because A, it means that the whole project will commence, and it means then that not only, not only is the state government getting stamp duty from the you know 4% stamp duty from these overseas buyers they're getting 4% stamp duty from every single exactly buyer exactly right that's and, the,
1: that's the multiplier
0: and they're also getting their share of the gst that will get collected from every which single
1: is, sale which is even bigger
0: also and this is broadening it out when you consider that the economic multiplier benefit of built form development yep is depending on the academic research, it's anywhere from three or four times to six or seven times the amount that you're investing in that project. And we also know the academic research says that the infrastructure savings from infill development is about $29,000 on average a lot as opposed to it's going to cost the state between eighty dollars to $150,000 for every green lot on the urban fringes. Why are we not factoring that into our policy yep. that is there to make sure we've got a good supply of housing and to make sure that for future generations, we're not saddling them up with a huge tax burden because. We've put huge development out on the urban fringes, which is going to be unsustainable, both in infrastructure, both in just dealing with all the transport corridors, all of that. It's just why? Why are we not focusing on infill and making sure that instead of just saying Perth, we're going to have forty-seven percent infill target, and that's even if you subdivide a block. It should be. We need good density. We need the right density. And we need to make sure that we achieve these targets within an appropriate time frame. Because I just can't see it happening at the moment because it's very difficult to get projects started. And once you get them started, you're seeing less and less projects commencing.
1: That's exactly right. And there's so many factors for that. It is another conversation. I think the Whole paradigm of urban infill versus urban expansion. You know, I think really practically the reason we continually see urban expansion come to the fore is because you've got some pretty powerful people running these companies in the first place, and they have influence in the political sphere. But more importantly, whenever there is a problem in the housing supply space, it is the union of these land developers who have the fast, easy, at-scale solutions to provide to the politicians that always comes to the fore it's much easier for the big land developers to say you need ten thousand homes we'll open that land up and we can give that to you in four years it's very hard for a group of apartment developers to be able to achieve the same thing when you think about just how hard it is both from a planning framework from a political framework from a local nimby cultural reality to be able to solve the government's problems in the same way as an apartment developer isn't it It's not like you and Paul Blackburn, the fellows at Far East and Edge can get together and go, yeah, we can get 10,000 apartments off the ground in the next couple of years. It's very hard. There's so much more that goes into getting these things designed, approved and off the ground compared to just rolling out a few hundred hectares of land out of Wanneroo. That's a fact, isn't it?
0: I think what you can see is that, you know, when, when COVID hit, you could see that the house and land developers, they could say to government, hey, look, we can get started, we can get started tomorrow. And of course with infill developers we need to achieve our pre-sales. It's it's a different way of, of approaching the, the property development feasibility
1: equation. Which again is governed by the way the banks finance these big companies who are essentially the government's problem solvers.
0: When you look at how we as developers, as apartment developers, when we are trying to engage, you know, we do have professional bodies and we do try and tell government that, you know, you can see the DAs. The DAs are approved and they're sitting there and some are in the market and some aren't in the market because some developers can see they just can't make it feasible because either the scale's not big enough and the construction costs are too high. So the
1: planning framework's limiting their scale. Correct. Or the market's pricing for these apartments can't meet the construction cost, or they can't even find a builder who will do it. And let's segue into that.
0: Construction risk, it's become over the last five years, you know, the the landscape has changed. You know, there was a, a stable of builders that developers could go to. Finbar is fortunate. We have a relationship builder that we've been with for decades. It's who's Hansen, that? Hanson. Hanson. Great name. Yep. And you know he's been building our high, our medium and high rise projects for for decades. And we're very fortunate, you know, to have a, a relationship builder there. Other developers they're going out to market. And currently, who's out there? Who's going to quote up on projects when you've got government who has very large projects? And if you're a builder at scale, you're going to prefer to be working uh, for government.
1: Well, I think about Multiplex, right? They're the big builder in Western Australia, the only, really, the only tier one builder that we've got that can fulfill these huge contracts if they're out and about it nearly seems like the one project a year that they choose to develop whether it's a blackburn project a couple of years ago or it turns out to be another large-scale project an edge project maybe going forward that will be the apartment development that gets off the ground and in the absence of any other builders big enough to take on a 20-story apartment development you've got Hanson, obviously in the absence of any others well just simply by the availability of builders out there that would be one reason that apartment development can't get off the ground. We've lost so much IP, haven't we? We've lost a lot of these, whether they were good or bad, we've lost Pindan, Jackson, ProBuild, built i'm missing a few here but we've lost so many of those tier two builders who were getting a lot of those fairly large apartment developments going in the early 2000s
0: we don't have saros anymore Pindan's not around anymore when it comes to these tier one builders you know if they're going to a developer and the developer says hey i've i'm hoping i'm going to be starting this in in a year well given what's happened exponential construction cost increases over the last couple of years any builder is looking at going well I could quote it up, but I don't know what it's going to be in a year. Yeah, and my margin
1: is going to be pretty big just to save my butt here.
0: Yep, and of course it's it's the the head contractor, and then it's all the subcontractors. And they're all underneath. doing the same thing. And and I 100% get it. They they're trying to protect themselves. But if we want more apartment developments to occur. Well, we are losing. We are losing capacity, our industry, and if we continue at this level of construction, we're just going to lose all of our trades, all of our skilled people.
1: We already have, haven't
0: we? Well, they're they're going up north. They're going to the resource companies because they know they know that here I, I'm going to have a job and it's going to be ongoing. I understand that here's a mining project that's going to happen for the next five years. While with, you know, you might have three or four developments on the go, but what happens the year after that or the year after that? And that level of uncertainty, I think, it is diminishing our capacity. We have less of an industrial base than they do have in the eastern states. That's just a a function of the size of of Perth and our, our construction market. All of this, it's pinching us and it's pinching in such a way where you look at the market and you think, well, we are having to Really push hard to get our project started. And you can see that a company like Finbar, we are fortunate. You know, we're ASX listed, we have very good cash flow, we've got long term JV partners with a lot of capacity themselves. And so you'll see us where we start marketing a project and we will commence before, way before we would get us a normal level of pre-sales. But most
1: people couldn't do that. That's the no, difference. It, it's You're doing a lot of heavy risky. lifting here, Scott. Yeah,
0: Finma is doing a lot of heavy lifting. I'm not sure if that's if it's realized how much. Like We've got three large projects, over 650 apartments under construction right now.
1: So you've got Aurora at Applecross, which is, yep. the I guess, the stage two of the sabina development right on the Canning Highway there as you come across the yep. bridge. bridge you can't safe. miss that. You've got Civic Heart, which no one can miss coming off of the off-ramp in South Perth. That's going to change the face. We spoke about that of of South Perth for the better. You've also got the Point in Rivervale, which is a a cheaper price point. Can you tell us a little bit of the story about how that's progressed and how at that price point, because timing of it obviously was very important. But I can't imagine anyone can build next door and make it happen financially right now. So
0: it is fundamentally coming down to the fact that we've been able to start construction prior to achieving a standard level of pre-sales. And that
1: saves you a lot of interest cost. Is that the difference?
0: Well, it's more the fact that people, they do want to see a construction start. When they see that there's activity on, on the ground, then you see the next tranche of purchases come in because they have the confidence. It's at that point... That as a developer, you can, with a lower level of pre-sales, you're starting construction with your builder and you can start to increase prices through the construction of your project.
1: As there's less risk
0: less risk and that has been the absolute the silver bullet for us because if we had started these projects with 80 percent pre-sale 75 percent pre-sales
1: you wanted to have started yet well, and then where would the price be then yeah
0: and and then we would have to go back to all our buyers and said i'm sorry we're going to have to put prices up but you mm-hmm. know we we lock our prices down we say you're signing up with us this is the price But again, in the next couple of months time, if you're seeing where where things are and where pricing is going, you're going to increase your prices because you need to make sure, you need to reduce risk going forward. So over the last couple of years, we've been quite lucky. We've started with lower pre-sales on our developments, but that's allowed us, it's given us a greater capacity to increase prices in these apartments as the project has gone through the construction phase
1: you've got one project that's sitting there waiting to get i guess the right amount of pre-sales is that the thing holding you up right now at garden towers in east perth
0: well Garden Towers, that's it's a great project and we've got like a third pre-sales there when we look at that project this is again and, and this is this is a question for every every property developer right now who's in apartments you have the off the there's not plan. Many, there's not many of them. Well, many, but you have the off the plan stamp duty rebate. Mm. Once you've started construction, yes. that's it. You're not going to have that same ability to attract So you, you feel like the
1: purchases will dry up the second the construction starts because you lose the incentive from the government.
0: You're losing that incentive. And so now you're just, you're basically dealing with a smaller pool of people who are, who are waiting for the project
1: to commence. Is that a no brainer for you that, The government that the the treasurer really just steps up and I mean everyone's been asking for it from PCA a lot of developers in the same space I know Richard Pappas has been asking for this at Celsius as well it sounds like a no-brainer the government just expands it to construction again what's the what's the issue here they've got plenty of money and we've already spoken about the multiplier effect
0: I don't understand it myself I can only see it as maybe they're not getting the best of advice I I don't understand how if someone's looking at it and looking at the benefits that flows from this that government would not be looking at its current policy settings and improving them to make sure that it actually does what they intended it mm, to do when they these, introduced
1: it. It's having this unintended effect isn't it of, of nearly holding you back to start.
0: It's perverse Yeah. and you know for us it hasn't had as bad an effect but for all those other developers who want to achieve the high level of pre-sales they're sitting on their hands because they want to get as many pre-sales as they can where their purchases get the stamp duty now concession. That is nuts. The stamp duty concession for apartments, it should apply during construction. It's an absolute no-brainer because not only is it a question of allowing and incentivizing people to buy into these projects, it allows developers to recirculate their equity into more projects. Mm. So if we get more people buying into a project, that means we can then look at at the finance with our banks and say, well, actually now we've got an additional 20%. We can go do the next one down the road. So then, okay, so we don't need as high a debt facility to fund the project. And so we can use that equity that we had to have in that project. We can look at using it in a different project, Mm. which at a time where this is a housing crisis, and I don't, I don't know why it's not front page every day, and I know that we're probably tired of hearing it, but we've known for years that our vacancy rate has been sub 1%. We've seen the issue of homelessness on the streets of our city, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it in the suburbs. I've seen people camping in cars around Lake Munga, and you sort of think, How is it that we're in this situation where people are having to get by because they're struggling to get a rental? And these are not people who...
1: They're not institutionally homeless any other time of the decade.
0: These are not people who were expecting they were going to be homeless. But it's the fact that everything has become so constricted and supply has tapered off because developers are finding it harder and harder to get projects out of the ground. It's at this point, if you are government, you are surely looking at what policies do I have on the table. Well, this is what How John Kerry says:
1: the- any lever I can pull. This would easily be one of the first levers he could be asking Rita Safiotti to pull, because it's not him. I appreciate that's this is this isn't a planning issue. This is actually a treasury finance issue.
0: Yes, and you know when they were looking at the housing issue before, they had lands, they had planning, and they had Treasury all in a room, you know, trying to sort the problem mm. out. And so they had three ministers there. Well, you know, now they just need to get Rita and, and, and John, John together. to talk. Because
1: this is the issue. It's John's problem, but it's Rita's the one who has to pull the lever.
0: But it's also, when Rita's looking at the issue, I just hope she's getting very good advice from Treasury, who are giving her the numbers about, A what it means to get these projects out of the ground, the economic multiplier benefits, and also what are these benefits that are flowing from getting these projects, getting this Just infill basic, happening?
1: Basic needs of shelter, right?
0: Well, but, but more than that, our know, future costs going forward for infrastructure. Of course, yeah. And of having more cars on the road that, you know, we're now we're going to have to build more freeways because we've got more people.
1: I've said it before that, uh, you know, you, you only have to look at Kwinana Freeway and that thing is knackered every hour of every day of the week. And Bold would not have to exist. Byford would not have have to exist Ellenbrook train station and the suburb around it would not have to exist if we had proper orderly infill planning outcomes for the last 20 years in the first place these are not suburbs that should exist we shouldn't be proud of their existence they have created mm. massive infrastructure issues for us in terms of transport the cost the opportunity cost of the millions of dollars spending on metronet we never had to have spent we could have spent on schools hospitals these sort of things, right? As you said, there is a huge opportunity cost, not just to what we're missing out on in terms of housing right now, but in terms of the taxpayers' money of what we're continually spending in the middle of nowhere that we could have been spending on existing facilities we've got here.
0: However you look at this, whatever lens you're going to use to look at planning and look at where development's occurring, it's a continuum. You're always going to have some house and land, but Perth has been so focused on house and land, ever since we've had development occurring here. Re- it's the
1: path of waste resistance, that's why.
0: And when you look at the benefits that come from infill, and yet infill is, you know, when you're talking about good infill, when you're talking about large, larger scale apartment developments, we're 8%. We're mm. 8% of housing in this state. So if you want to change the dial, if you want to stop, you know, reducing our, our farmland, stop reducing our bushland, out on the fringes of Perth, you've got to start taking some tough decisions and making sure that infill is incentivized to the extent that it will make a difference. It and should be the start. preference, you're right. Yes, yes, 100%. And
1: this is where I get on, I'm 100% on track with you here on, on the same page. The big land developers especially, fantastically sophisticated, large organizations, a lot of money, and imagine if the planning framework incentivized them to start shifting their focus far more towards infill and they decided that they preferenced spending their money, investing their money in infill, rather than the path of least resistance. They've got the capabilities, they've got the experience. Imagine if the if the framework was set up in a way where they said, I'd rather do infill. There's far more for it, us in it, it's far easier, it's, it's it's definitely gonna work for us, rather than a token job that says that they do infill as well just to put on their website. If Imagine if you brought in, if you actually created a system that had the capital swing towards infill and the benefits that would have for us in Western Australia. But it has so many barriers to jump in the first place. It is financing. You don't need pre-sales to do 300 lots in Wanneroo. It is uh, planning there's far more planning considerations with regards to urban infill it is culture there's so many more opponents of infill because there's so many more people directly affected obviously it is also the construction market in terms of who can go out there and build it there's plenty of guys with front end loaders that are ready to build 500 lots out in east wanneroo there's only a handful of apartment builders around that could build these buildings for us
0: imagine if you were coming to wa and you're going to start a developer company where would you be going like yeah. if you're going to do stuff at scale you're going to be going into land yeah. and that is a policy issue for government it's sad government needs to step in when the market is not able to respond finbar is lucky enough to have that capacity to still be getting developments off the ground still getting product into the marketplace
1: it can't just be you though that's the thing but
0: we want to do more we have the capacity to do more if there was more support but you can't have just a handful of of developers in the apartment space there has to be more across the board in medium density in high density but right now if you were a developer coming to wa you'd be going straight in the land because yep. government policy it is incentivizing you as a developer you should be least doing risk. least risk quickest reward quickest reward you should be doing land yep. and it's just like that is a fundamental issue with our policy settings in WA right now. And I think government needs to understand that to the extent that if they don't start swinging the dial the other way, well, I think we're going to lose capacity, industry-wide I'm talking here, we're going to lose capacity in our ability to deliver built form, apartment development, because we're going to lose trades, they're going to go into the resource sector, we're going to find people who well, we've are We've already to seen it, Scott. Absolutely. It. We're, yeah. we're, they're, they're already going. We're struggling to get our trades. We've got them here, but how long are we gonna keep them here unless we've got the next project to go, the next project to go, the next project to go? If they don't see a future, then people are going to leave and go to the mines.
1: So the low hanging fruit, if we could have three things that you would be getting on your knees and begging Minister Kerry and or Minister Safiotti for, what would they be?
0: First one is, I think the off the plan stamp duty, it has to be during construction. And I'd suggest remove the price cap or raise it to a million dollars. Because it is about these more expensive- It's
1: about value, not numbers. It
0: is about the value of these pre-sales. It is yep. not about the number of the pre-sales. Yep. And if it happens during construction, all those developers who are sitting on their hands because they're concerned that once they start, they're gonna lose most of their market okay. to sell, right? That's number one. That's the first one. one. Second, the foreign buyer surcharge. This is costing. It's costing the state. It's costing the taxpayer right now. And it's impacting our ability to bring new housing and bring new rentals into the market. It should be just removed. And in fact, in New South Wales, they've had to refund it to a number of people because it has been considered by a court in New South Wales to be inconsistent with our Commonwealth tax obligations. And this is countries like Japan, South Africa.
1: Reciprocal taxing. Reciprocal
0: taxing. And so the New South Wales government has had to pay these people back, these Mm. purchases back. And I think I was talking to uh, UDAA and I think they said that there's actually a line item in the state budget to allow for. There might not be this payback. Yeah, right. But let's not worry about that. Let's actually get rid
1: of it. Just do the right thing in the first place. Let's yep. incentivize
0: people if they are going to support our community by investing in our community, by buying apartments. You know, These are well-designed apartments, well-located apartments, where these foreign buyers, 70% of them, they are going to be renting out their apartments to us, to our community, to our society. Yep. Why wouldn't we be supporting them? Number Uh, three. Number three. Okay. We have to be so careful, and this goes across both planning and NCC. We have to make sure, we have to, I think, understand that the apartments getting built now, they are of a great standard. But if we continue to increase requirements on our apartments, if we continue to ask for higher energy ratings, higher acoustic ratings, all of these issues. What they're going to do, they're going to make affordable apartments impossible to deliver and we're just going to end up with projects occurring, large towers where the underlying land value is high, which is going to be western suburbs, it's going to be upcross, it's going to be South Perth. We have to be mindful that if we want affordable and diverse housing to occur across our city, we have to be mindful of what that means. So don't judge every apartment development the same. It's not about every apartment development has to be of an exemplary and meeting the highest standard. Because standards every house ever. and land house isn't either. Every house and land package being built right now is of such a lower standard than our current housing. And in fact, there was a study done by AHURI, UNSW and UTS, where they looked at a number of Finbar projects that were built before Design WA, which was the big change for apartments, which has been subsumed into the R codes, they were looking at projects that were done, apartment projects done prior to Design WA coming in. So these were projects just done under the R codes that existed back in 2013 to 2015. These researchers are going, why is it that Perth apartments perform so well? We were pipped at the post by New South Wales apartments who have to meet the Sep 65 energy and environmental sustainability outcomes. They're going, why is it that Perth apartments are just second to Sydney when there was no requirement for them to do all these measures? And they went, oh, maybe it's because these developers are having to put product into a market that is predominantly house and land, and they had to incentivize and they had to change people's so perceptions. Market-led outcome. Market led outcome. Can you believe that? The well, market was leading the outcome and providing good housing outcomes. Yep. And government has come in and said, well, now we want, we need. This is
1: a standard across everywhere in Perth. Yep.
0: And we want to rise it up. Good now,
1: luck getting that in Armadale. Good it, luck getting that in Quinana. Good luck getting that in Banksy Grove. You will never be able to stack it up.
0: How are we going to produce? How, how can we assess affordable apartment development, say in Rivervale or Gosnells or Armadale, with Subiaco? with Applecross, with South Perth.
1: Well, you can't, and that can't. has never happened before. You've never, built, you've never seen a house built in um, at or Kwinana to anywhere near the standard of Cottesloe, and that's just a fact of life. So if we haven't it expected it in houses,
0: price. why are we expecting it in apartments? It's, mm. And this is what has, I think, it's been one of the key themes that you're seeing apartment development tapering off because developers are finding it harder to make it feasible, and so, we are being pushed into doing our projects in a certain way mm. and a certain style, the only a certain places typography. Where you
1: can, when you can, when the only places where the market can pay for it.
0: Larger towers where the underlying land value is going to support the higher costs of delivering apartments in those areas. And it's just like, well, as a society, as a community, we have to understand this. And then we have to say, do we not want to have affordable apartment developments? Yeah. It's, our it's one
1: or the other at the end of the day. And you can't I'm, have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too.
0: And I'm, I'm happy if people make a conscious decision, but I don't think we've realized it. I think we're going, no, no, we're going to set... Here's the benchmark for all apartment you know, It's
1: driven by a very woke agenda of, in my opinion, of people who are happy to push the ideology but aren't happy to accept the realities.
0: I, I think these are people, they may be the most well-meaning people, but without realizing the impacts of what they're saying and impacts of what will come from these aspirations we all want to make great developments but we can't have every development to be the top and highest level of specification you have to allow for Well,
1: it's exactly the same direction the medium density code went with regards to urban infill and john kerry understood that and deferred it when he got the message on that in a very quick manner as well
0: Anything that's going to affect housing supply right now, we have to understand we need more housing and what can we do to deliver
1: it? Well, the government just needs to get out of the way and facilitate the market, who are the people who are going to do the work, to fix society's problems. And it's companies like Finbar that have the biggest capacity, economies of scale, especially in the infill space, to actually deliver that. So I really do hope and expect that the Minister's Office will be listening to this podcast. I'll be sharing it directly with them as well in order to provide some direct advocacy there on what solutions you require as the GM of the biggest department developer in Perth to start solving their problems in infill at scale. I really appreciate the chat today, Scott. And topically, Minister Safiotti will be having a breakfast with the PCA on the 17th of October, being a couple of weeks from now. I highly recommend everyone get down there. I'm sure you'll be rocking up yourself. It'll be a good opportunity to hear from her on what her plans are and ask her some questions too. So uh, for everyone listening, please do get down to that breakfast hosted by the Property Council of Australia on the 17th of October. It will be very much worth your while.
0: It's time for government to make some bold steps.
1: That's correct. Scott Cameron, thank you very much for coming in and having such a valuable, informative conversation with me today. Cheers. Thank you, Trent. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the
0: conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page.
1: Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!